0: Hi, my name is Camille Conti, and I have been told that I need to tell you how I know Rachel. Well, that would be a podcast in and of itself, possibly even a full length series. But for right now, I will just say that I know Rachel because for some reason I was chosen to be blessed by her magnificence, her presence, her love. Her voice, her talent, her compassion, and her friendship. So, welcome back to I Wasn't Always Like This, an uplifting podcast about living with depression.
1: Don't give up, don't give in, it's just the journey. Darkness
0: grows the seed. Season 5, From There to Here. Episode 4, Doors Opening and Doors Closing. In the last episode, you might have noticed that I didn't share anything about feeling the depression or hearing the hum or sensing the specter of darkness. This is one of the more interesting aspects of living with depression. Life goes on all the time. Some moments are great, some are tough, some suck, and some call for celebration. The depression, however, is never gone, not completely. Think of it like this. If you're cooking dinner and you have several burners going on the stove, Some quinoa, maybe a little soup, and a frying pan with spinach sauteing, and maybe something going on in the oven as well. Okay, first disclaimer if you're anything like me, this is already a recipe for disaster. I'm feeling overwhelmed just using this as an example. Anyway, my point is that when the spinach is needing attention, the soup might not. Soup can simmer while the spinach needs to be dealt with. Sometimes, depression can simmer, and those simmer moments are truly cherished breaks along what is usually a pretty tricky path. They're like moments of respite, moments when I feel, well, like whatever a normal person must feel like. I feel as if I'm standing on solid ground. For those of us who live with depression, these moments, are absolute gifts. 2013 had begun, and it was looking like it was going to be an amazing year. As we prepared for the opening of Spirit Stone, I was feeling very encouraged by the community support I was receiving about the idea. We decided it would be a fun idea to do a pre opening concert event. When I reached out to all of my friends in the music community, they all said yes. Local musicians like Melissa Mitchell, Scott Kiefer, Colleen Kodick, Kippy Lands, John Nyman, Dolores, of course, as well as several more, all agreed to perform. This was epic for me. Folks showed up with enthusiasm and so much love. We opened the doors to Spirit Stone the next day. Our space was one of the lecture halls at the university. It was a bit hilarious to witness how this worked. I would arrive around 7.30 a.m. pulling rolling suitcases and carrying heavy bags of goodies, including stones. You know, I began to question the idea of naming our center Spirit Stone. Every week as I lugged those bags of stones, I would wonder why we didn't name it Spirit Feather or Spirit Dream. As Shannon would set up the technology, I would create sacred space out of the ordinary lecture hall. Pashminas and throws, sacred items, were all used to transform the space. Our welcome table had all of the stones on it with an explanation of the ritual we had created. Each person, upon arrival, would take a stone, or if they let it, a stone would choose them, and the process was that they could hold that stone throughout the service, infusing it with whatever it was that was on their minds or hearts or what they wanted to let go of. The service was short and sweet. A couple of opening songs, there was a lovely and well-tuned piano in the room. Someone from the gathering would come up and share a chosen short reading. I would share a talk, usually about 20 minutes, and then an affirming prayer something uplifting. At the end of the prayer, folks were invited to come to the front and put their stones, now full of whatever it was that could be released, into a blue dish of salt water. I would take those home, cleanse them, and prepare them for the next week. Then we would do a time of circulation if folks wanted to give financial support to keep the room rented, and we would close out with a song And then they were on their way to enjoy the rest of their Sunday. Sweet, simple, spiritual, and short. There were other religious gatherings in the building where we were, mostly traditional churches. (laughs) The funniest and most fascinating moment happened when I was setting up one morning. The church next door to us was a group that had split off from the Lutheran church in Anchorage. As an aside, They had left their church because the church had chosen a woman as their spiritual leader, and they had come out as a welcoming congregation to the LGBT plus community. So that gives you an idea of the dynamic of this group. The men of the group were always very friendly and very kind to me holding doors open as I dragged and rolled my bags of rocks and goodies in and out of the building, always saying good morning and have a nice Sunday with a smile. The women, however, were strangely hostile. Side glances and grumpy faces were all we ever saw from them. One morning, as I was setting up our signs out in the hallway to let folks know how to find us, One of these women came right up to me and asked who I was and what church we were. I explained that we were a spiritual center, interfaith, open to all, a place to connect and learn and grow. And then I asked what denomination her gathering was. And this was her gruff response. We are Bible based. We're not a feel good church. Honestly, It was a little challenging not to laugh, and then to feel really sad. I mean, who would willingly attend a place that claims to not be a feel-good church? Yikes. I just smiled and said something like, well, we each find the place where we feel the most comfortable, and politely escaped any further conversation with her. Spirit Stone began its life at the beginning of February. On my birthday, the 26th of February, I turned 50. And I got shingles. Well, technically, I got one shingle. Okay, a little backstory. I got chicken pox when I was 21. And I only had three actual pox show up on my body. Strangely, they were aligned with my chakras. One was on my forehead, one was on my chin, and one was on my chest. However, I had a beastly headache. The kind that made me think my head was exploding. On the morning of my 50th birthday, I started feeling a really strong headache. I don't normally get headaches, so it was a little disturbing. By the end of the day, I couldn't turn my head and there was this itchy, strange spot on my back. Within a day I was diagnosed with shingles. Again, I refer to it as shingle because there was just that one. The pain in my head was excruciating. It seemed like the worst pain I had ever felt. And then it started moving. Slowly, the pain, like a traveling band of evil actors, began to migrate downward through my body. When it reached my hips, I could barely walk. It finally got to my feet and seemed to leave. However, the lingering effects of that experience became something I learned to live with. I still do live with it. What was most scary about the whole experience was that this whole thing came on me at what was one of the happiest moments of my life. I had made it to 50, which was no small miracle. Spirit Stone had opened And I finally had reached my dream of having a little church. Shannon and I were living in the sweetest house in Anchorage. Everything was stable and good. And suddenly I was living with some of the worst physical pain I had ever encountered. At the same time, I was choosing to face a painful thing that I had tried to ignore. A few years earlier, my beloved soul twin Jimmy and I had had a strange falling out. He'd gotten really angry with me, and I was never sure what it was I had done. It happened shortly after Shannon and I had gotten together. By the time my birthday came, it had been over three years since we had substantially communicated with one another. I had tried a couple of times in the first year, and sporadically over the next couple of years, it never went well. Clearly, something had happened. I just didn't know what it was. And he wouldn't say. Just after my birthday, I reached out to him because I'd heard this singer. Her name is Rumor, and she sounded exactly like Karen Carpenter. I knew he would love her. Jimmy used to love when I sang the Carpenter song, Superstar. long ago and oh so far
1: away i fell in love with
0: you that song i was excited and nervous to share rumors music with him i just knew i had to do it so i sent him one of her more karen-esque sounding songs and said I hope it's okay for me to be reaching out to you. I just knew you'd love this woman's voice. I think she's channeling Karen Carpenter. And I added a smiley face. He responded quickly with a sweet message about how much he loved the song and that it was good to hear from me. I am not someone who believes in regret. This, however, is the most painful regret I carry. Instead of following my heart and reconnecting with Jimmy in that moment, I let fear take over. Fear that he would get angry again. Fear that I was thinking everything was okay and then doing something wrong again. I'm not even sure that's what the fear was. All I know is that I let fear keep me from responding to his message with more than a simple I'm so glad you liked the song. One feeling I was sure of, I was really grateful that I had reached out and that he had replied so tenderly. On the 17th of May, I was at work, sitting at my receptionist desk, doing my receptionist thing and my cell phone rang. It was my buddy, Khalil, You might remember him from the last two episodes of season three. He and Dustin and Jimmy and I had been a close family in the years before I moved to Alaska. Even after Jimmy's and my falling out, we both stayed close with those guys. As soon as I saw that it was Khalil on my phone, my stomach lurched. Khalil calling me in the middle of the day on a weekday. It just felt ominous. I answered and he very gently told me that Jimmy was gone. He had died in his sleep. Suddenly, peacefully, with his dog right next to him. I couldn't breathe, I couldn't move. And because I was sitting at the receptionist desk, I couldn't scream, which was the only thing I really wanted to do. Jimmy was gone. Forever. No second chances. No, I'll try him again next week. No fixing it. No more opportunities to hear his voice. I did my best to keep it together and finally just told my boss that I needed to leave. I don't even remember driving home or what I did the rest of the day. I just remember that I could not stop crying. Oh.
1: when you leave. dark thought, the shame, the malice. I greet each at my door with a smile. And I am grateful
0: I told my mom what was going on. She was so sad to hear this. Jimmy had been part of her life as well. She made sure that I could get back to Cleveland for the funeral. Jimmy's sisters and family helped me as well. And I was able to spend a couple of days with all of them, going through pictures, telling stories, even laughing a little bit. I wasn't sure what they knew about what had happened between us the falling out. They didn't seem to know anything about it. They just kept reminding me how much he loved me. This felt both wonderful and like a knife in my soul each time I heard it. They asked me if Jimmy had ever talked about what he would want at his funeral. I shared that we used to talk about that a lot and that he always said that he wanted me to sing the Carpenter song, Superstar, It was going to be a Catholic mass, so that wasn't going to happen. However, his sisters made sure to find a way for me to sing it at some point during the day. The night before the funeral service, me, Khalil, Dustin and Jimmy's cousin, Sandra, were allowed to go to Jimmy's house and hang out for a while. During the chaos of the morning, when his brother and one of his sisters found him, his dog had gotten scared and had run away. She'd been spotted coming around the house and Jimmy's sisters were hoping that we could coax her back inside the next time that she showed up. We were sitting in his living room telling stories, laughing. And then one of us said, man, Jimmy is really late getting here with the pizza. And we all got quiet. It suddenly went from surreal to surreally real He was supposed to be there. It started pouring outside and we heard barking. Jimmy's dog was back. Dustin went outside and he and the dog started playing a game of you can't catch me in the rain. Khalil set himself up in the den and Sandra and I put treats out the back doorsteps and onto the walk. And then we went back in, her holding treats in her hand in the middle of the kitchen and me hiding behind the door. Dustin was able to maneuver the dog to the backyard and she began sniffing and then eating the treats. She cautiously followed the treat trail into the kitchen and saw that Sandra had more. The moment she cleared the door, we shut it and got her into the den. We had to do that so we could let poor Dustin back in who was completely soaked. We called one of Jimmy's sisters to let her know that the dog was safe. So much relief and even more tears. The funeral was difficult to get through. My mom came and she sat with me and Khalil and Dustin. We just kept moving through this feeling of all of it being so unreal and then too real and then unreal again. It was hard to feel connected to anything. Later that day at a community meal together, I was asked to sing the Carpenter's song. I still don't know how I got through it. Later, me, Khalil and Dustin returned to Jimmy's house one last time and with permission, each took a couple of items that connected us to our wonderful and beloved friend. And then we said goodbye to each other. Before leaving Ohio, I tried to reach Carl I knew that he would want to know about Jimmy, and John, the third of my three boys, tried to help me find him. Carl had gone underground, as he was known to do sometimes, and we were not able to make contact with him. Work, Shannon, and Spiritstone were waiting for me when I returned to Anchorage. The day after I was back, I received another phone call. Again, at work. I didn't recognize the number, so I let it go to voicemail. At lunchtime, I checked it. The call was from a hospice nurse in Ohio, calling on behalf of Carl. I returned the call immediately, and she put Carl on the phone. I sat there in stunned silence as he said, hey, sweetie, listen, it's cancer. I'm not going to be here much longer. I was able to hold it together long enough to talk with him for a bit and still finish the day at work. Again though, I can't remember how I made it home or how I moved through the next few days. I called Carl as soon as I got home from work and I told him about Jimmy. He took that news so hard. I also told him that I had just been in Cleveland and tried to find him He explained that he was staying with a good friend and had chosen to be intentionally hard to find some legal stuff. We agreed. Well, I made him agree that we would talk at least once a week just to check in and that he was going to have to deal with me telling him how much I loved him. Every time we talked, I wasn't going to let fear or anything else get in my way now as a reminder of this promise to myself and to Jimmy. I had a Spanish proverb tattooed on my arm that we had learned from the movie Strictly Ballroom. Vivir con miedo es como vivir a medias. A life lived in fear is a life half-lived. On our weekly calls, Carl and I began to talk about what he wanted, how his end would be handled how he was going to arrange to get his ashes to me in Alaska and where he wanted them to be scattered. (laughs) This adventure with his ashes also entailed my having to drink a beer. I only agreed to do this because it was Carl and because he had never asked me to do anything for him before ever. So I figured I could handle one beer. We spoke each Friday. He shared with me about what he'd been able to do and what he really wanted to do. We actually talked about him coming up to Alaska one more time for his birthday. He started thinking about ways to make that happen. I continued to work, to do Spirit Stone, to be in my relationship, even to play a little music on occasion. My heart was aching though. There wasn't a day that passed that I didn't think about Jimmy and all of the missed opportunities his dying had left behind. It was August 6th, a Tuesday. I was at work and my phone rang. I looked and saw that it was Carl calling. Fridays were our day to chat. Again, my breath stopped. It was Ron, the friend that Carl had been living with. It seems that Carl, with only one functioning lung, decided to be his stubborn self and go out to the garage for a smoke. He'd lost his footing and hit the floor. When I was able to say the words without crying, I called John to tell him about Carl. After first losing Jimmy, and now this, John, the last of my boys, said in his totally John way, well, I'm still alive. We shared a moment, reflecting on how surreal this was. That within just a few weeks, both of them were simply gone. Jimmy and Carl, both. Just gone. John had become part of the team of folks that were working together to take care of the logistics of the cremation and to make sure that the ashes were sent to me in Alaska. Once the shock of the moment wore off, we began the process of carrying out Carl's last request for his ashes. Carl's ashes. A nightmare of circumstances followed the moment after Carl died, which then turned into a long and painful story about how and why I never got his ashes. The one thing in 30 years of friendship that he ever asked me to do for him, I wasn't able to do. I won't go into the details of all of it, I spent two and a half years trying to get those ashes. I never succeeded. I know that he knows (laughs) that I did everything I could, and I know that he's forgiven me. It took me a long time to get to that knowing though. And so there we were, August of 2013, Spirit Stone had been open for six months and was doing well. I was able to transfer from the receptionist position back to working in Kelly's department and directly with the kids as the spiritual life minister. We were living in the sweetest little house. My health, although still a bit wobbly, was returning. And Jimmy was gone. And less than three months after him, Carl was gone as well. Things with Shannon were strained. She didn't understand how deep the connection had been for me with both Carl and Jimmy. I had history with these guys. I had known Carl for 30 years and Jimmy for 22 in this lifetime. And they had known me in a way that no one else ever had, I felt lost, abandoned, and I wasn't able to help her understand because I was barely holding on. From this moment forward, even in the midst of so much good happening in my life, the spiral downward had begun. Internally, things were starting to unravel.
1: Misha Beira Avo Te Nu Source of Strength. Give us courage to make our lives a blessing. (laughs) Shabera li more teno cor abraham
0: Wisdom from Doctor Who, again. The doctor said, Good things don't always soften the bad things. But vice versa. The bad things don't necessarily spoil the good things or make them unimportant. The most significant gift that came out of 2013 was my meeting Sarah, my therapist. She was and still is a truly gentle soul. She was so patient and so very tender with me, especially when I explained that it might take some time before I stopped acting with her and could feel safe enough to let her get to the real me. Sarah didn't budge and it didn't take long for us to get to work. We started, of course, with the grief that I wasn't able to shake. And then we began to dig deeper. This would start to crack open everything I had been keeping so tightly packed within me. I had to learn how to live with and carry all of it without losing myself. Meanwhile, at Spirit Stone, we were nearing November, which meant that All Saints' Day was coming. This is one of my favorite spiritual times of the year, and I wanted to create a ritual that would feel welcoming to everyone who attended. The idea was to create a space to speak the names of those we miss, to bring them into the room with us, and also to create an altar of photos and souvenirs, letters, mementos, anything that connects us with those we've lost. And then at the end of that, to offer a symbol of hope, of renewal, of sweetness to balance out the journey. I sat with this for a while and then began to create the service. There would be a welcoming time, the opportunity for folks to bring their items to the altar, some singing, some talking, some open share time for the names to be spoken, some more singing, a prayer, and then a gift as they left, a purple daisy because daisies are the best flower. The concern I was wrestling with was that I wasn't sure I could make it through this gathering without breaking down. And I didn't want to do that in front of everyone. I felt that as the minister, I had a responsibility to be the one who was strong and steady enough to hold everyone else's pain. When the moment came for folks to speak the names of those they missed, something shifted. Instead of just the names, people began sharing stories, how they knew the person, what the gift on the altar meant for and to them, the lasting impact this person had on their lives. It was such a beautiful and truly vulnerable moment. I was feeling that no matter how I tried to control them, the tears were going to show up. Because in addition to the fresh grief of Jimmy and Carl, there was also on the altar something from my dad and my friend Amy and my precious Michael and so many more. There was no stopping it. And then the most amazing thing happened. I learned that it was okay to show my own grief, my own honest feelings, my own vulnerability. I learned that I didn't have to be some kind of monolith of spiritual calm and collectedness. It was very good that I learned this because I was going to need to remember this lesson in a big way in the coming year. Thank you so much for listening to I Wasn't Always Like This, an uplifting podcast about living with depression. I've learned many valuable lessons from this whole living with depression thing. And one of the lessons is that like anything that shifts and changes with time, so does this experience. Dark times, better times and every kind of time in between and sometimes a mixture of all of them are all a part of the trip. As I await the arrival of my newly published book, I find myself feeling every possible feeling there is. And I remind myself to be grateful in all of it. If you've been moved by this podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend. And if you would like to support the message getting out there, please follow, subscribe, rate, and review it on whatever platform you're using to listen. As always, thank you so much for listening. And thank you so much for your continued support.